This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today I am joined by Christopher Walker. Christopher is a senior real estate manager at Raising Canes. He's been in the real estate industry for a while, formerly at AutoZone. I'm excited for him to be here. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. So good, good, good. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do, Christopher. So as you said, obviously, Christopher Walker. Um, I uh, have been in the real estate business for 16 years. Um, I started out in, uh, let me back up a little bit. I'm actually, I'm, I'm from the East Coast. I'm an East Coast guy, so I'm from Arlington, Virginia. Grew up in Arlington. Um, Great town. Yeah, um, so I'm a, a DMV guy. I went to college at Hampton University um, in Hampton, Virginia, and um, made my way to Dallas, you know, the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, in 2006 and got into the real estate business. I came to Texas to get into the real estate business. I had, a, had a, one relationship out here that got me in the door, and um, I started out in brokerage in 2006, and um, I did that... Uh, from 2006 to 2014, uh, uh, transitioned from uh, from being a broker to uh, a retailer at AutoZone. So I was with AutoZone for three years, um, 2014 to 2017, and then uh, wanted to come back. I was I actually moved to Memphis, so I was in Memphis for a little bit, but I wanted to make my way back to Texas, and I was getting married. So um, and uh, I've been following Raising Canes because I've been here, you know, since 2006. I was a a fan of the brand, fan of just um, their development, um, what they were doing. So uh, I wanted to wanted to work for them and made it happen. So made my way back here in 2017. Five years later, here I am. Great story, great career path. You always know you wanted to be in real estate. Oh, uh, yes and no. Um, you know, I guess it was. So my father. Uh, was on the government side. He was a um, director of housing for the city of Fort Worth. He was um, in the housing. He was a, a director of housing in Arlington. Um, he had worked, you know, for the government in Houston as well. And so, but he was on the residential side, government, you know, residential side, and residential just really didn't uh, didn't excite me. Um, I started my, you know, just professional career in sales. So I've always been kind of, you know, in sales and more wanting to do an entrepreneurial. What I will say is that I've always wanted to be, you know, in an entrepreneurial type of world. Um, and uh, real estate provided that for me, you know, just the day to day and the opportunity to, um, you know, create, so to speak, wealth or opportunities for myself. Uh, real estate was an aspect for that. And um, I do remember when I was younger, you know, my dad used to always get in the car and go driving and he always going to these neighborhoods and looking at these places. And so I guess in the back of my head, you know, it was kind of put into me, but um, I never said, hey, I want to go out and be a real estate guy. Um, but once I was in, you know, uh, around 2005, I say it was, um, I was working in sales for, uh, at the time, Bell South Communications. I was a, 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 a regional account manager and somebody there. You know, was talking about real estate and commercial real estate, and we actually pursued it. I was very green. I had no idea what I was doing, but I enjoyed the pursuit of the opportunity and enjoyed the, you know, just putting the pieces together 
And that's what got me really interested. Like, oh, I like this. And I'm going to quit my job, leave my girlfriend, and I'm going to move to Texas to try to get into the real estate business some way, somehow. Um, wow. So that, that, that's what I did. I picked up, um, I left that job and, and I actually, like I did actually have a girlfriend at the time. And, you know, I was like, you know, I'm not going to have any money. <laughs> I'm going to be starting from, from, from the bottom. I actually moved into my parents for a year and a half. Um, just until I got my first commission check and was able to get going. And so I sacrificed, but um, it, was, it was the best career move I ever made, actually. Wow, good for you. Love that story. It, when you got into brokerage, were you on the landlord side, the tenant side, investment sales? What did you do? So I did, uh, I started off as a, so my first opportunity um, was I worked for a, I worked for a developer, a land developer. His biggest thing was he didn't build anything higher than a fire hydrant. Um, but so he did all the horizontal development and um, I was basically um, in-house uh, call, you know, real, you know, broker for him, you know, all of his land, we would do retail, you know, stuff for him. Um, but what I learned being in Texas is that when you're not from Texas um, and getting in this business, uh, you need to be in an environment where you can really network and meet people. Um, so I transitioned from there, and I started working for a company called the Whitesman Group, very well-known Texas real estate company. And um, that's where I got a chance. They were in Dallas. And that's where I got a chance to really you know, broaden my, you know, spread my wings. I started off as a landlord and tenant rep because I was the Fort Worth guy um, for Whitesman. So I did a little bit of landlord stuff, did some tenant rep stuff. But my main, my main thing in the beginning was landlord, just you know, trying to just cut my teeth and learn the business. Um, and so that, and then I transitioned over the couple of years, I transitioned and doing some tenant rep stuff. Got it. You said something interesting that I don't know that many of the people in the audience know, maybe they do, but I think it'd be worth talking about, uh, because we hear it a lot. I, I'm hearing it a lot again today in industrial. Yep. You don't hear it as much in retail anymore, but you worked for a horizontal developer versus a vertical developer. Yes. Can you explain when you first started? Can you explain to the audience what someone who claims to be a horizontal developer is and does? Yes. So um, he uh, he would have he would take raw land. You know, most, most people, you know, a lot of developers when they're doing vertical, they want utilities there, they want everything you know already there. Whereas, and he would take raw land and develop that raw land. Um, he would get it entitled. He would um, do all of the subsurface um, development. Uh, he, you know, he'd have he'd do all the civil work. Whereas in some uh, a retailer or a you know a developer could come in and and start going vertical. Um, so he'd have it prepared, entitled. You don't have to go through that process. You know, he'd bring utilities, uh, whatever utilities he'd bring. Because again, when he purchased the land, it was raw. It was yep. you no know, utilities, anything like that. So he would develop it horizontally to get it prepared to go vertical. And then sell it to a vertical developer. And then sell it to a vertical developer. Or at that time, we were really selling it to uh, retailers. Got it. You know, because retailers would come in and you know, do whatever they needed to do. You sell it to retailers, ground lease it to retailers, but most of the time we'd sell it, yes. Got it. Uh, thank you. And, and I'm seeing it in industrial a lot today, yeah. given the, in, the low inventory in industrial. Um, I, you know, horizontal developers are starting to show up a lot more than yep. uh, they, they were. Uh, so um, it, helpful. It's a big risk. So it's, I got, a lot of, it's a lot of risk. 
lot, yeah. of, uh, lot of risk, a lot of red tape, because a lot of times you're dealing with, you know, the state, you're dealing with, you know, jurisdictions. So it's a lot of. Yeah, you, you're selling something with no income on it. So exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely right. Yeah. So you made an interesting transition in your career. You went from, you mentioned sales and you had a passion for sales. You went from the sales side, now you're the buyer. Yes. <laughs> how, is that, how has that transition been from being on the, you know, the, the landlord side to the tenant side or the sales side to the buyer side? Um, it's good. Um, it, it, it's good. Um, it's um, obviously a lot more responsibility, a lot more um, falls into your plate of, you know, just, you know, decision making of what, you know, of what takes place in terms of, you know, strategy and, and, and do I, uh, is that the right location for this, for this use um, and understanding, you know, understanding markets. And uh, I think the biggest change is, uh, you know, as a broker, you focus on, uh, one particular market, right? Uh, for the most part, you know, if a good broker is going to be very knows a, a market inside now. Um, coming to this side, you know, there's multiple markets that you work. You know, I've been fortunate enough to develop in 16 different states, right? And so, um, understanding, you know, markets and the the trends in the market and understanding uh, the growth. Of, of, of a market and um, and taking ownership that's the one big thing is too is that you're you know at, on the, at, in this role you're taking ownership of, of 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 a project and I also also look at it as you know there are a lot of people that are um, going to have successes or failures on this on a decision that I make um, there you so, go um, so it's you know it's been good I like it um, I think when I was a landlord rep and then um, transitioning to doing tenant rep, that helped prepare me uh, on understanding strategy and, and, and markets and understanding that. Um, but it's, you know, once you get here, I think it's good. Um, it, you know, one of the hardest things, though, was transitioning, trying to go from a broker to become a retailer. Because believe it or not, for some reason, retailers don't like hiring brokers. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> retailers are not fans of hiring brokers. Um I was fortunate enough to somebody gave me a, gave me a shot and you know I made the most of it. Excellent. All right. Appreciate that history lesson and the lesson on horizontal development. Absolutely. I want to and learn more about you. I want to take us to the part of the show to deepen the audience's knowledge on Christopher Walker. I got three fun questions for you. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question one. When's the last time you tried something for the first time? Uh, I'd probably say it's got to be something that I do with my daughter. Um, for the, for, for the, I just had a daughter in 19, and um, there's a lot of first, obviously. She's my first for child. Sure. Um, and um, uh, I didn't grow up playing with Barbie dolls. I'm now playing with Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I have a four-year-old daughter. I understand it. I'm now, so all of those are first for me. Um, I would say something that stands out for like outside of my daughter, the, one of the first, uh, I'd go back to uh, my first year anniversary, I just got married in 17, my first year anniversary, um, and that was in 18. I had never, you know, been in a helicopter, went to Hawaii and did a hel one of the helicopter rides in Hawaii, 
Um, and that was, you know, the first time I've been in a helicopter that high and, you know, um, and then I also jumped off a cliff. That was the first wow. time. Wow. Yeah. Adventurous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Okay. Question two. Yeah. And congratulations on the new family, man. It's yeah, amazing. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Question two. What is one skill you don't possess but wish you did? You know, I'm a music guy, Chris, and I love music. I grew up, you know, playing an instrument. Um, but what I wish I could do is sing. I wish I could sing. I wish, I wish, you know, I wish I could. I, I like the ability to uh, of, of singers and 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 their be able to use their voice as an instrument and affect emotions. Um, upon people. So that is one thing that I wish I could do. I'm a big music guy. Me too. I wish I could belt it like Christina Aguilera or Whitney. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Last question. Yeah. What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? This is controversial, man. It's very controversial. Me and my wife have this argument all the time. Ketchup in the refrigerator. I do not think ketchup should be in the refrigerator. Every, the whole world what? ketchup what? in the refrigerator. I think ketchup should be in the refrigerator. No, ketchup should not. It should be war, it should be warm, not cold. We, and what, what, and what the argument, where I always have the argument is that when we go to the these restaurants, is the is the ketchup in the in the refrigerator? Is it cold? It's, it's not. Warm. No, it's warm. It's in a package. So I don't understand why the world thinks that the ketchup should be in the refrigerator. So that's my controversial thing. <laughs> but in the packets are sealed though they're airtight. Well, they're also I mean it's considered airtight if it's in the in the uh in the bottle, right? Until you open it. It's not airtight until you open it, but it's you know for the most part airtight, but yeah, just I, I, I hear it. So, I never thought about this, but I I was I'm a chameleon. I like it both ways. I'm trying to think if I like it more like when I go to Raisin Cane's and I put the ketchup. You might be right here. You might be swaying me because <laughs> I'm trying to think if restaurant ketchup is better than my cold ketchup. Cold ketchup. Because um, if I got a hot French fry at home and I dip it right, in you cold ketchup. Dip it in some cold ketchup. Why yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying here. All right. You're going to change like, the world, Christopher. You're going to change the world. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, Thanks for taking this day. I really appreciate it. No, absolutely. Those are, those are, wow, I hadn't thought about those. Those are, those are tough, but okay. Are you still wasting tons of time prospecting local businesses, tediously searching online for contact information, and manually building spreadsheets? Prospecting can be painful and time-consuming, especially for local and regional shops. But it doesn't have to be. Start saving time on prospecting with ReSquared an easy-to-use platform for retail leasing teams to get in touch with prospective local business tenants, fast. ReSquared's all-in-one tool has data on every local business and provides contact information so you can easily reach out directly through ReSquared with built-in email templates. Brokers and leasing teams using ReSquared, including DLC, save hours each day while generating higher-quality leads. Request a demo on their website, re2.ai. And mention the Retail Retold podcast for a special bonus. That's re2.ai. Okay. Well, you have a story um, about a deal from your AutoZone days. So take her yes. away. So um, in my AutoZone days, um, 
as we know, AutoZone has been around. I call AutoZone the Walmart of auto parts. Been around forever, been around for years. And so um, I used to handle Arizona. It was one of my, one of my markets, great market. I love the Phoenix market. I didn't live in Dallas, I've lived in Phoenix. Um, I uh, was, you know, of course, AutoZone's all over Phoenix, um, but I was pursuing an opportunity north of Phoenix, and actually it's a place called Tuba City, Arizona. Tuba City, Arizona is about 70 miles north of Flagstaff. Flagstaff is a, you know, um, I don't want to say major, but everybody, everybody's sure. familiar with Flagstaff, but there is a city called Tuba City, Arizona, which is actually um, on the Navajo Indian Reservation. Um, okay. And so, you know, I was talking with my broker and an opportunity came up in Tuba City. I'd never been to Tuba City before. Um, didn't even know anything about Tuba City. And um, so I drove up. Uh, I got with my broker and said, hey, let's go up there. Let's check it out. Um, it was, it, And if you know anything about Indian reservations, um, with, Indian, with Indian reservations, you know, the land is not fee-owned. You know, it's owned by the reservations. You know, so the land is... We, you, you nor I can't just come in and develop on the land. Well, there's a developer out there that owned some fee developed some land that wasn't owned by the reservation and said, hey, we'd like to do a Dollar Tree and AutoZone here. What do you think? I said, hey, let's go check it out. You know? So go, we drive to Tuba City. Um, again, 70 miles north of Flagstaff. And Flagstaff is probably about two or three hours north of Phoenix. So drove out, drove out to uh, Tuba and you go up there and there's a sign that says you can go this way to Grand Canyon and keep going straight to Tuba City. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I still haven't been to the Grand Canyon because I, <laughs> I went to Tuba City. So we go to Tuba City, um, you know, you look out on the map, you're like, oh, what is this? But when you get there, very vibrant. The corner that I was looking at was McDonald's over there. There's a McDonald's Caddy Corners, a great land. It was in Taylor City. It was Great opportunity, I, I thought, for AutoZone. And the reason is that, you know, there's a population up there that is driving 70 miles, you know, to get their parts or get things done on their car. And so wow. they didn't have that service up in Arizona. Like, like the opportunity, um, but, you know, you're in the real estate world and I am well as everybody listening that we're big analytic people as well. Um, and so I came, I come back to AutoZone internally and say, hey guys, great opportunity in Tuba City, Arizona on an Indian reservation. <laughs> They're like, eh, yeah, no, that's not going to work. Um, and if you know anything, you know, being internally, you know, it, it's, it's the thing about being a retailer is you have a different, different clients. You have your internal client, you have your external client, you have a lot of different pieces that you have to satisfy. Um, so the difficulty to this process to this process is because it's out of the norm for us. You know, one the developer wanted to do a build a suit. AutoZone wasn't a build a suit type of you know user. They would either buy a ground lease. Um, so that was one thing I had going against me. The analytics said, well, there's no population up here. Um, but on an Indian reservation, on, on the reservation, there's more population. That's what's than what's actually documented. I went up there, I met with the tribe, I met with, you know, the, the, the people uh, with, with the city of Tuba City, and, and the need was there, and I knew that, but I was the only one that had, from AutoZone, that had actually been to Tuba City, right? Um, but 
because of that need of seeing the people travel 70 miles and just seeing the population, yeah. I was like, there's a need here, guys. We just got to figure out how to, how to make it work. The numbers didn't work. The numbers didn't, you know, really jive. Um, and at AutoZone, you present your property, which I love. You present your uh, your projects to to the executive committee, um, and you know I couldn't even get it in the room because nobody I couldn't have the buy in, right? Um, and I started this process, call it 2015, and you know got into 16, and um, I was like, this is an opportunity that I really believed in, and you know in real estate. You believe in something in your gut, you're like, guys, like this is something you know. So I stayed on it, and 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 I, pers- I you know, I was persistent about it because I really believed in the opportunity. Um, so long story short, I I, I finally got it in that room, um, I, and and this opportunity in this room, I you know, when you go and present, you know, I made sure that I I got dressed up, uh, I made sure that I was prepared, I knew everything. Um, and I, I did all of the due diligence about getting the, you know, more numbers, zip code numbers, whatever I could get to establish a population. You know, um, I think, you know, they did take a risk, um, on the opportunity and, um, I got it approved, got it approved, got the deal done. Um, and actuality that deal opened at like 400% of what we expected index, um, and uh, the city loved it. They actually came and, and, and did a tribal dance um, to 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 bless it. And um, it's and doing that one opened up the opportunity to do other reservations, um, any reservations for us, um, and not being um, blinded by the analytics. Um, so the first moral of that story is: whatever you do, go see the site, go see the trade area, go see what's going on. Um, don't just take the analytics of uh, what the numbers say. Understand really what the trade area is, what's what's going on there, and um, it could lead to other opportunities. Which you know, um, at AutoZone, it did open up other opportunities on these other Indian reservations and you know things like that. So that was a great great win. It was uh, uh, anybody that knows uh, that story that when I was at AutoZone, they know that that's that's my claim to fame in AutoZone because nobody, I was the only one that believed in it, <laughs> um, but it turned out to be a great, great opportunity. Wow, Th- this is one of my favorite real estate stories that I've heard in a very, very <laughs> long time. So thank you for sharing. I think the first thing that you mentioned, go see the site. The first thing that comes to mind, and, and that's you go to the market, go see the site. I think that's important. But the first thing that comes to mind in a world where everywhere you go on social media or anything is data, 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 data. Everyone's yes. trying to get data. Like people are selling data. Everyone's trying to get data. And I think data, one of, one of the key pieces that I think that where people matter so much is that there are so many scenarios where it is impossible for data to tell the whole story. Absolutely. And I think this is case in point why data can't tell the whole story. I think it is fascinating. I think the other thing, the resilience that you had in trying to get this deal approved internally, I'm very curious when you were in the boardroom presenting to the executive board, I'm sure that you were challenged uh, by people in the room because this was so atypical and on paper it didn't work. 
You tried to make it work, but on paper it didn't work. What did they, what did they, what got them over the hump, you think? That, that's uh, my question. What got them over the hump think, to say, we want to take uh, this risk? I think uh, we were able to craft a deal where it wasn't as expensive as it could have, as it could have been for us. Uh, we were also able to, um, I think we did have a, a store in, in Flagstaff. And so we were able to kind of figure out, you know, people traveling to that Flagstaff store um, and, and understanding that a little bit more. Um, and uh, I got operations on board that, you know, op, that that's. that's ah, so you got, got buy-in buy from other exactly, constituents yeah. in, in, exactly. internally. So, that's yeah. a key corporate America yeah. Yeah. tactic. You got to get buy-in from other constituents. Get internally. And I've learned that. Um, and I think. You know, AutoZone was the great opportunity for me in, in terms of training me, you know, making me a better real estate professional because um, they're a machine. You know, AutoZone's a machine and they're, do, they're very great at what they do, um, but there's a lot of internal approval, internal buy-in that you have to have and learning how to get that buy-in. And so I think once I really uh, focus on operations and saying, hey guys, I need you to go up here and look at this, check it out and really, you know, that's how I got my buy-in was getting operations up there. And that, that, you know, and then really, once you, got, once you get operations on board, you know, that, that, that helps a great deal. Sure. And so you mentioned before, I'm just curious, a little off topic on do in, do the population of Indian reservations not show up in the U.S. census? Um, census? Not completely, no. I don't think they. I don't. I don't think so because it's so private. Interesting. Um, so I don't think you're going to see all the census. And again, this was in 2000. You know, call it 15. So that may have. You know, and again, that's in 2015. Yeah, so they yeah, yeah. Do it. You know, every ten. They only do it every ten years. So it may not have caught up, or you know, um, but the numbers weren't the same as what was actually there. Interesting. And and so, how big of a discrepancy were we talking about? What did what was Christopher's take on what the population was in Tuba City versus like what like how, how big of a gap was it? You uh, don't have to give me specifics. Um, I would I would say it, it, it's probably a good fifty. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'd probably say it's a good fifty percent. Yeah, I think it would be a good twenty-five to fifty, like just because you know it's yeah, uh, I mean. The trade air is so large. That's the other part too. Is that you know when you get into the reservoir, like it's not your normal three mile radius. You know, it goes out. It's it, you know it goes out very far because you know once you're up there, if you look down on the map, there's nothing else around it. But you get out into these you know areas, and people have cars out there, and they have to get them serviced. They have to get parts. You know, and so but they're having to drive to Flagstaff for that. And and I think that wow. was the thing. And, and having and I actually had conversations. With you know people uh, with you know locals and you know met with the the, uh, the local tribe and just understanding you know their needs and what they're really doing um, and so I think um, having those conversations and um, you know actually being in the environment and understanding what what it is uh, I thought it was you know that's what kind of sold me on like oh there's a need um, and come and find out there was a need yeah it. it. 400% of projection. <laughs> <Right>. Boom. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. What a win. Um, did after those numbers started to come through, were people like Christopher? This is amazing. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. They must to this day, I'm very close to my AutoZone guy. Uh, like I said, enjoy myself there. Uh, we we always have that comment. We always they always joke me because I push so hard, and it turned out to be very well, um, very well received. And I last question on this: the this this took a long time to get AutoZone on board. The, the developer, was it hard to keep the developer and the, the owner of the property like engaged? Because he's probably like, you know, well, these guys, like, are they going to do this or not? Unfortunately, no. Um, it wasn't, the developer wasn't, okay. the, wasn't the opposition. Um, I had a relationship with the developer. The developer, you know, I stayed in contact and let him know, hey, this is what's going on. Um, so the developer, you know, the other thing too is, that, I mean, not a lot of people that are wanting to go out to Tuba City. You know, and, and you know, sure. so, you know, you had the Dollar Tree deal, and you know, so it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a two, um, it, it was a two, multi-tenant building. Two tenant, building. So you know, like again, really wasn't a lot of people, you know, that were going to go, you know, take that risk to go out there. So um, he was patient, which was which was good, and um, you know, I thought it was a great win for the company, for the reservation, for all. The totally, members. totally agree. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing. That's one of my favorite stories. Excellent. Okay. Last part of the show, we call it Retail Wisdom. I got three questions for you. Are you ready? All right. Question one. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Um, so I won't say this, this retailer is extinct because they still have restaurants. They're still serving. I still use it. But if you talk to the real estate community, you talk to other people like, you still go there. That's Boston Market. Um, Boston Market again. They're not extinct. They still have you know. They're not you know have zero, but they're declining. You know. But I'm just a fan of. Uh, I just like. I'm not, I'm not a. You know. I'm one of those guys where you know I eat to live. I don't live to eat. Um, so if I can uh, go out and you know I can get a somewhat decent meal and it's kind of fast casual type of thing. That's why I love Boston Market. I'm a chicken guy <laughs> as you can imagine but um yeah i can get you know meat starch and and vegetables and call it a day um and so yeah. that is the one they're not extinct uh but you know that that's my but when you talk to anybody else they would you would think that they're extinct <laughs> yeah okay question two what's the last item over twenty dollars you bought in the store I bought just last week a um a, a mobile a mobile charger um from Target. Oh. I was traveling, you know, we're getting back on the road, traveling and everything. So I needed I needed a, a heavy duty, big, you know, good big, good charger. I think I spent you know fifty bucks, sixty bucks, and yeah. Target. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of Target, okay. last question: If you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you. What aisle would I find you in? Probably that same area. Uh, yeah, electronics. Yeah, electronics. Um, showing my age here, but back in the day, you know, they, they had the, the music aisle where they had CDs and things like that. You'd find me, you'd uh, find yeah. me there, which is kind of a. Uh, but I'm a quasi tech guy. I, or, I'm not a tech guy because I'm, you know, I'm not saying I know anybody. I like gadgets, you know, so I'm, I like all the cool iPhones, iPads, and I'm a tech guy. In the sense of, I like gadgets and you know, electronics, so you probably find me in the electronics store. 
or extralexile. Okay. Well, Christopher, this was great. I really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh, really, really appreciate yeah, no, you coming thank on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. I heard a lot about your podcast. Glad I was able to make it on it. Excellent, man. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.